moment before one of his serious announcements, such as, we have decided after much deliberation, Mr. Kipling, or Haggard, or Benson, or Wells, or Hardy, or whichever wildly successful writer it was, that we will publish your next story. You are 28 today, Diana, and as an older woman, have reduced marital prospects. Don't be such an old crotchet, Redbreast, said Diana. I dare say someone will come along. Not someone from the peerage to suit Bevis, not some famous writer to suit you, but somebody who suits me. Besides, I never want to marry. I don't like children any more than you do. A man is not required to like children, he said, only to do what he can for them, but a woman most properly is. Then perhaps I am not a proper woman, she said. What can you mean, he said. What a pair we are. His voice was somehow strangulated, but then many men of his social background spoke in the same manner, as though all statements had to go through some kind of filter before they were released. The Honourable Anthony Robin, a second son, was a tall man with an overhung brow and startlingly blue eyes. He had the commanding and kindly stoop of an old Etonian of the non-sporting kind, but was not, Diana had concluded long ago, necessarily kindly. She suspected he had invited her on this excursion, much as she was enjoying it, not out of altruism, but to forward some devious scheme of his own. She was right. Your prospects being as they are, he went on, you have no choice but to earn a living. You can work for me as my housekeeper. He waxed lyrical. He had just leased new premises from which to run the modern idler. From now on, it was to be published monthly. He had found a charming little house in Fleet Street, looking straight into the law courts, with Chancery Lane beyond. It was an area where journalists came and went, and writers had their clubs. It had crooked walls and leaning floors, and at night you could hear the Death Watch beetle tapping away, though the old oak beams had such hard heartwood he'd been assured all their gnashings were in vain. An eccentric place for a dwelling, perhaps, but a fine one for the editor of a political and literary magazine. Oh, Antony, I see, she said. You want me to move in and do all the work. Distemper walls, sand floors, fix lights, buy furniture. I dare say even create a garden where you can drink your coffee while you read your manuscripts and turn down aspiring hopefuls. It sounds divine, he said. When the building work was done, he said, she could be his secretary. You can type, you can do the layouts and the pasting up, and you can help with the editing, the subscription lists, and so on. Oh, thank you, Redbreast, she said. What if you got married and she hated me and threw me out? I am not the marrying sort, he said. You know that. I am a man of letters. I am the philandering kind. I believe in the life force and the odd whiff of opium, draught of cocaine. But you know that, too. All is legal, all will come from the Fleet Street Pharmacy down the road. But I do have my little ways. You will have to put up with them. I might overlook them, she said, if I have half a page of my own in your modern idler once a month. Not about fashion or recipes or how to polish a kettle, but about politics. Not under your own name he said. I don't want to be a figure of fun. Mrs. Humphrey Ward publishes under her own name, Diana protested. But she's married. You would be a miss with no brain or experience. Perhaps you should make a marriage of convenience. 
Diana raised her eyebrows, and Anthony Robbins said she had until Waterloo Station to think about the advantages of living under his wing. Otherwise, he would make alternative plans. They were at Basingstoke, so she had about an hour. They fell silent. She took honey with her toast. Anthony took marmalade. He opened the times while she stared out the window at green fields and growing wheat. There was a sudden bark of annoyance from Anthony, which quite made her jump. Engineering genius, my foot, he said. Bumbling young puppy, used to be my fag at Eton. How he yelped if I beat him, the crawling little ninny. Couldn't find his way around a tin of boot polish. Arthur Headley had entered his new touring model, the GHU-3, for the Isle of Man race in September, and according to the Times, was considered the new white hope of the British automobile industry. The piece seemed to have quite upset Anthony. Asked why, he said that Dilburn was a sleazy rotter, a jumped-up bounder, a silver spooner, a mother's darling.